First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They are warm, breathable, silent, and odor resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, all of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. I think fly fishing is real pretty to watch. Fly fishing is captivating. It is. You guys are missing out. It is really pretty to I watch. Feel like, I feel like you're I, a liar, really. Clay Newcomb. Yeah, Why? it's beautiful. Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard you say, you know what I'm really drawn to is people who have a passion for something, have an identity. And I talk about fly fishing all the time on this show, and you just blow over it like it's not even hey, a thing. Wrong passion. <laughs> Yeah, that's Apparently, the wrong you're, passion. you're yeah, attracted to people who have passion it's, it's, it's that really, you like. It's really cute when people like fly fishing. I, I think it's really cute. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> that's why people say they can't do it, Josh. No, 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 Josh. No, I, I respect your passion for fly fishing. Absolutely. Now, does that mean that I want to talk about it all the time? You should. I want to hear you talk you about it. He wants you to talk I'll about I'll let you some. talk about fly fishing as much as you want. In my car, driving home <laughs> from the render. <laughs> what would you say about fly fishing? I would tell Let's you all about Let's just say you it. had the floor. Yes. Yeah. Let's just What say. would you say? I would talk about, first of all, the places that fly fishing takes you is okay. one of the things that I like, I like the best that. about it. I like that. The, the beautiful locations, environments that you get to Okay. One of the things that I love about fly fishing is, especially trout fishing, is being in cold water. Yeah. When it's 100 degrees and you're standing in 48 degree water, it's like you are tasting the extremes at one time. You can do it in okay. a It's amazing. Shirt. I like the idea. It's of amazing. That. And then watching, I mean, ideally, a nice dry fly cast where it lands out there so delicately. Yeah. And then seeing a monster brown trout. Just go up there and slurp that thing in there, and you react and set the hook, and that fish just goes crazy. But you're usually fish fighting that fish on a very fine tackle, so mm. you know the fight's on for at least ten minutes. It's oh, just, really? Can be with a big one. I mean, that, it's a that's a it's that a thrilling was beautiful, feeling, moving, compelling. Yeah, yeah. How much more great. time do I have? You can have the whole podcast. <laughs> yeah. Hey, welcome to the Bear minutes. Grease Podcast. Welcome to the Bear Grease Podcast. You just heard the poetic voice of Josh Lambridge Spillmaker. Never been accused of that. Good to have you, Josh. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you. To my Thank left, you. Brent Reeves. Always looking sharp. Hey, in, uh, Those look like overalls. fresh overalls. Yeah, these are good. Pretty these fresh. Nice. Those, Man, that new knife. 
Oh, he cut his pants. He cut them. Oh, with man. With that new knife, with that new meat eater knife. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I think it's, it is sharp. Mm. Right there. Just barely touched it. Just like a ding. Like a scalpel. Kind of like a, like a dry fly floating across the White River. <laughs> if it would have hit it any harder, it would have took half my leg off. The thing's sharp. <laughs> I'll be darned. Yeah. To your left, Isaac Neal. Yes, producer, sir. assistant producer of the assistant Bear Grease podcast. To the regional assistant producer. to the regional. Yeah. <laughs> I, I commented on Isaac's attire when he walked in. I was really proud of him. Yeah. He yeah. really looks like a redneck. I yeah. just got I got so ashamed and embarrassed of... of uh, Your foot gear? No, the tattoos. Oh. I had to cover them. I scheduled a laser you know tattoo what? removal. I forgot <laughs> you didn't have tattoos. <laughs> well, just to just to paint a picture, I got some nice boot cut jeans on, a pair of cowboy boots. Yeah, yeah. So. And what? How would you and describe a, your shirt? A camo hat. Um, this is like a. It's vague it's, Hawaiian. It's kind of vague Hawaiian. Yeah. That's good. Bryn. It's subtle, in the in the vein of like Willie Nelson, <laughs> kind of like redneck, yeah. kind of hippie. Yeah, yeah. And then Isaac's got hair down to his navel yeah. to to, to <laughs> Isaac's left. You don't have to exaggerate. <laughs> to Isaac's left, my lovely wife, Misty Newcomb. Hello. Misty, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Clay. It's so really great to be here. It. It's really a big deal. I don't know if y'all realize what a big deal it is to have Misty. This is a very busy woman. I oh, mean, she's like so scheduling like these things in, like negotiating with other people about this time. Do you so, have her people, your people call her people? I, can't, I don't even talk to her. I talk to her people. But it's like, it, what's great is we le- live in this like isolated world of social media where you're a big deal, right? And she's your wife, but like in the real world where things actually happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're Misty Newcomb's yeah. husband. Hey, we were trying, to, we were trying to film a little short Just depends on what context you're of in. making gravy. <laughs> and there's people knocking on the door and Clay's looking out the window. He's like, there's a delivery truck out here. I wonder what that is. They leave and we start filming again. And Isaac's like, here comes another truck, another yeah. guy. There's a there's a bigger delivery truck. Clay says, we got to take a break. I got to find Misty. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Turns out there was a wedding at there our house. There was a wedding. <laughs> uh, so, Misty, thank you for taking Good time out here. of your schedule. Mm-hmm. And then Gary Newcomb, whose schedule is just wide <laughs> open <laughs> since about 2012. Correct. And uh, good to have you, Dad. Hey, thank you. Thanks for coming up. Yeah, enjoy Gary, it. Gary Newcomb is the most prep- preppy dressed of us all. Looks like he's going golfing. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, a little embarrassing, but it's all right. Uh that he's going uh, golfing or that he's better all dressed? All of the above. All of the above. I'm kidding, Dad. He's a renaissance no, man. He's a renaissance man. Yeah. So, great man. And then. Who else? That's, that's us. That's all of us. Right, well, I, I have to go first. Because of the fly fishing? Yeah, that was just like a little bonus About deal. Time. We're going to cut that out. So, <laughs> Isaac, cut out Josh's so you circle back and, to Josh. And Josh. In case yeah, it gets cut Josh. out, Josh Lambridge. Yeah. Hey, I was in the Pacific Northwest this last week, and people were, Ooh. they started talking about the land bridge that people walked, like, you know, that they said, you know, they theorize the it's the first. Right. Anyway, and I was like, oh, I know all about the land bridge. My friend's mustache looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that I was born in the Pacific Northwest also? I knew you had some ties there. Wow. I actually was trying to figure that Seattle, out. Seattle, Washington. I didn't know wow. that. Almost accidentally. You were raised in Michigan. Which you are. So I assume you're of European descent, just based upon what I know about you. Did your family come over the land bridge? Just went backwards? Not from that I know most of. Most patterns I, of migration of. I actually had a, a shattering life moment a couple months ago. My mom got suckered into one of those 23andMe kind of things. Oh, and I no. found out that my German heritage came in through Canada. Really? Oh, they immigrated to Canada and then moved into okay. Michigan. 
Those uh, interesting. Yep. We've got some pretty fun family stories surrounding Woo. 23 and Me. I mean, really scandals. It's uh, it's pretty pretty fun. Hey, not <laughs> not to scandals like uh, steal the vibe of having fun. Take but, it away. But Josh and I are really good friends and have been for decades. Josh, tell yeah. them tell them a little bit about your dad. So my mom and dad got married in 1975. And uh, my dad was 19, my mom was 22. And uh, just a couple months after my parents got married, they were very happily married. My dad had a framing crew and he'd come home and he'd say, man, I'm really tired. And uh, this was in Michigan. And uh, he'd come home, fall asleep in the bathtub. I mean, just at 19, 20 years old. Well, he went to the doctor and found out. And your your mom was like, what's what's going on? Seems like, you, you know, you're in the prime of your life. They... Did, did some blood work and found out that he had some very, like, extremely low hemoglobin levels. Come to find out he had a very rare disease called aplastic anemia. And the only cure was a bone marrow transplant, which was, there were two research centers in the United States that were doing research on bone marrow transplants, one of which was in Seattle. Okay. And so my parents actually, they called and said, if you want a bone marrow transplant, be here on Monday. And it was a Friday. Really? Oh, so wow. my parents wow. literally packed up in two days and moved to Seattle. And uh, my dad had experimental chemotherapy and a bone marrow trans- transplant. His sister was a donor. And uh, right after his, his, I was born while they were there. Three weeks later, we left and went back to Michigan. And uh, my dad got home. And one of the things he loved to do was water ski. And uh, he just begged my mom. He said, man, I feel really good. I really want to go water skiing. And she said, I don't want you to do it. So he's 20 years old. He decides to do it. Catches a cold. What aplastic anemia does is it, it destroys your, you, you, you've, can't produce white blood cells anymore. Right. So you have a very compromised immune system. And uh, he caught a cold. It turned into pneumonia, um, ended up in the hospital. The doctor said, the family needs to come down here and say your goodbyes. A couple days later, he's better. And uh, he, he uh, seemed to, to make a, a rebound there. A couple weeks later, he got sick, turned into pneumonia. Same scenario. Come down, say your goodbyes. He's not going to make it. And uh, my mom actually, I, I found some, going through some old stuff from my dad, I actually found a journal of my mom's. And my mom prayed and she said, Lord, by my anniversary, make me a widow or make me a wife. Either heal him or take him because this up and down is too much for me. And uh, he actually passed away four days before their first anniversary. Wow. And uh, so I was raised by a single mom till I was almost 12. And, uh, but I tell you what. I have trem- We've talked about my mom on this podcast yeah. before. She's an incredible woman. She really Strong, is. determined, hardworking. I learned an incredible work ethic from my mom. The hostess with the mostess. True. And uh, man, it's it's shaped who I am to this day. And uh, I'm real I'm real grateful for for what my mom invested in me as a child. Awesome. I've always loved that story. You know, I was really impacted, and I don't want to jump ahead too fast, but I was really impacted by Mark Kenyon's story about his lucky streak. Oh yeah. About how he you know killed the deer, got the job. And then met us and, and, and got together with his wife. Uh, yeah. Tell you what, that's pretty good. Now, how does that connect right to you, this? What you're talking about? I'm just talking about the um, having a having a godly woman in your life and a good strong woman. Man, is a pretty awesome thing. Yeah. It does, those are the things that really matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Now we know a little bit more about Josh Boyne. And I like to fly fish. And, and he likes to fly fish. It turns out this episode's all about Josh. <laughs> is it? Is it appropriate Finally. to talk about the just time kidding. Deb Summers saved your life? Oh wow. Yeah, I mean, is that taking it too far off I mean, the rails? Because she one hundred percent did Go save ahead. your life. Yep. 
I get a call she one time. She Josh and saved my life once. I don't even <laughs> remember what, what happened, but we were at the spillmaker. Josh and Christy and I were together. Clay was... Well, do you want me to tell how I got there? I definitely wanted you to tell the story. Okay. That's why I started so, so, to tell the story. I was, I was, I was hoping I was going to the he would take Jasper, it away from me. <laughs> I, was going to the, I was going to the Jasper Elk Festival. I was going to the Jasper Elk Festival in probably like... Jasper, Arkansas. 2010 or something. And I, I was manning a booth for the Arkansas Black Bear Association, which was an organization that I ran and everything. And man, I woke up real early, had to be over there by like seven. It's like a two or three hour drive and just woke up real early, went over there. And on the way there, I remember where I was at. I could take you on the road there before you get to Jasper. When I looked out the window and could see this big vista, and I remember just thinking, I feel absolutely (laughs) terrible. Like it was just like... I just was like, I feel like I'm about to die. But I committed to be here, and I was just like, I, I'm going to go. So I went. And I get to the Jasper Elk Festival and set up my little booth, get everything set up. The pop-up tent. Yeah, and just and, 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 and about you know 8, 8.30, people start showing up. I'm standing out in the middle of the road. They have the square blocked off. I'm standing out in the middle of the road talking to some friends that I knew from Russellville, Arkansas. And they were a real sweet couple, and they hadn't seen me in a long time. I had just greeted them. Just like, hey, <laughs> hadn't seen you guys in a long time. I gave them a hug, and I'm talking to them, and I just go, I feel absolutely terrible. And the next thing I know is nothing. Gravity. <laughs> so pause. I, I went down. And, and so and, Connie and, calls and me. Ambul- and, and, well, okay, and then... And I'm with this. This is this is an important piece of the story. Connie calls me. Well, I've never met so, Connie, and Connie calls. She gets me. my phone and she says she just looks What's your for my name. name? Uh huh. So I've never met her. She calls me though, and I'm with Josh and Christy, and they said, "Hey, that's right over there by where where Deb." But that where, story's not over yet. I, I know. I know. That's why I'm. That's why I'm trying to tell it. Settle down. Um, <laughs> he and Clay. They want to take him to the hospital, and he won't. He doesn't want to go. They're like wiping me down, and I I go. I come to and I go, I'm okay, I'm okay. I just, just get me back to my booth. And so I stand up and they're like, whoa, whoa. And you know, everybody's like grabbing at me. I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay. Don't worry, it's okay. And I say, I'm just going to walk back to the booth and sit down. And so I go to walking through this big crowd of people. And I mean, just next thing I know, I'm in an ambulance. I hit the ground again. And that is when Connie called you. So, okay, so that's when Connie called me. Two times fell in the street. Two times passed out. Josh and Christy are with me. They get on the phone while I'm on the phone with Deb. They call Deb, who is about 15 minutes away. I don't know how it happened, but in my, the way I remember it, I am on the phone with Clay. I'm the same inter, interchange. Connie gets the phone to Clay, and I'm saying, Clay, let him take you to the hospital. And the, I'm in an ambulance. He's in an ambulance, and he won't go to the hospital. And I don't know what's going on, except for that Clay just passed out two times. And all of a sudden, the crowd parts. <laughs> <laughs> like like the Red Sea and the cloud, crowd parts and Deb Summers has figured out a way to get this Josh's mom has figured out a way to get her car in the no parking zone <laughs> and has gotten the entire crowd moved in my mind Deb picked I don't I wasn't there right so so I don't remember it but in my mind she I, I can hear Deb picking up like showing up like a in, baby bird in like 60 <laughs> seconds showing up parting the crowd getting her car parked illegally picking clay up like like a groom would pick up his bride that's how I had it, how I had it. took him to it, his house it was kind of like that it when I kinda... got to the house you know, it was like how far away is it from this it's probably 30 minutes when I got to the house Deb had I mean clay was eating he was he had like a feast in front of him and was laying 
Velvet. All his favorite I mean, movies on yeah, VHS. Yeah, it was hilarious. It was popsicles. Yes, the whole nine <laughs> yards, and that is classic Deb. And and to this well, what, day, what 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 she did is they they took they put me in an ambulance, and they're like, "Sir, we're going to take you to the hospital." And I was like, "I I'm, I will not consent to going to the hospital. I'm not going to the hospital." We didn't have health insurance. Yeah, uh, we we're self-employed. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, "I'm not going to the hospital," and they're like, "Sir, are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yes," and they made me sign this paper before yeah. I got out of the ambulance. So I got out of the ambulance, and I was like, I'm going to walk to my booth. I get to my booth and sit down, and everybody's, like, checking on me and stuff. And then Deb walks up, and she doesn't even say hi. She just goes, Clay Newcomb, you get in my van right now. <laughs> she stuck her finger out. That's what, she, that's what I remember her saying. She said, Clay Newcomb, you get in my van right now. And I just said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I went and got in. She opened up the side door of the minivan, and she had stuff in there. Oh, like sure she cold coolers <laughs> and yeah. food and drinks. Yeah. And she, was like, she was like, lean that chair back, and you sit there. <laughs> and and so it, and we went to her house and just had a great afternoon. Classic. Turns man. out I had ehrlichiosis. Uh, Do you know what that tick-born, is? It's the most common yeah. tick-borne illness in this part of Arkansas. Yeah, my dog. Brought it. over <laughs> by the... Uh, by the working dogs from Vietnam. They got it in the jungles of really? Asia, Gary Newcomb. Huh. Or may, you may have brought it back. You may have mailed it over. For all we know. Hmm, Do you have any have. ticks on you when you came We're back from few. Vietnam? I had a few. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, they, they, so all the service dogs that came in from Vietnam, most of them were channeled through Fort Chaffee. And they brought these dogs back. And if, if you look at a heat map of Ehrlichiosis, somebody will fact check me on this and they'll learn that I'm right. <laughs> if you look at a heat map of Ehrlichiosis in the United States of America, there, there's like a, like a sunspot about 100 miles in any direction from Fort Chaffee, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Really? Yeah, really? and, it's, and it's, that's what they say. That's what I was told by a veterinarian who I believe was, was telling Not the truth. Lying to you. I, public service announcement. If you have flu-like symptoms in the summer and you are outdoors a lot, you should. It took forever to get an accurate diagnosis of what was going on, and once we did it, I mean, we were able to to move forward. But that that was a tough summer. Clay was, I mean, sick, sick, sick. It was, sick, bad, it was bad. I mean, yeah. like couldn't stand up without passing out type of yeah. bad sickness. They gave you antibiotics. Yeah, and, it was just it's just standard treatment. But yeah, pretty much uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, Lyme's disease, ehrlichiosis, and now alpha. Alpha, 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 and so, I mean, like three days later, one happens, two happens, three happens. I think, okay, I'm going to the clinic. Like not till after he told you about yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it was just like luck, bad luck, which yeah. we're going to mm. talk about that. Oh, nice segue, well, so Gary. He, was nice it segue. good luck that he came into your office? Yeah, yeah, because I might have laid there a day or two yeah. thinking, you know. And 25 years ago, people didn't pay as much attention to tick-borne illness as they do now. I think there was a time period when doctors mm-hmm. were just like letting people die. For having tick-borne illness. Well, it's a specific. Not, it's a specific test they got a test for because yeah. my brother had it, and when he was finally diagnosed, I came in from Missouri turkey hunting one year. It's like, man, I'm. I feel like terrible. You know, I feel like I've been eaten by a coyote and crapped off a cliff. It is <laughs> terrible. 
And he says, you get Sam Summers come by? He said, no, I wish you had. He said, you sound like you got it, man. You need to go. And they did that specific test. And yeah. sure enough, that's what I had was like what Gary had, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. And it was tetracycline for breakfast for and supper for a week or two. And then it was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Clay got we got an accurate diagnosis because someone he was with, and in in the woods, he was doing work with, and that guy got a diagnosis, and uh, that's when we called the doctor and said, "Is it possible that this is what yeah. he's in with?" And it was like game changer, but but for I don't know how long he would have. And I mean, it was it was really bad. Do you get cured with medicine, or is it just? I think it just kind of dies there? down. I think you. Well, I, I think don't it's know. different for some because I hear positive. about people with Lyme's disease, and that seems like a little. That longer term. Yeah. It was much longer term than what you had. So I think this is a good point to get into what I really wanted to talk about today, which is uh, which Love is a pretty it. serious, it was a pretty pretty unique time for the Bear Grease podcast because we're going to institute a, we're going to institute something that has been in my heart for a long time. And I, I believe that this will persist through time and be really important. We're going to institute the Bear Grease Hall of Fame, uh, an official Bear Grease Hall of Fame, and I'm going to get a plaque of some sort made, and th- like you know how you can make plaques that have room for more oh, yeah. little. Oh yeah, yeah. And you put the tags. They have a name. Tags. Yeah. <clears throat> so you make everlasting. You get, a, you get a big plaque, and it Which starts off it. with just small things. So here's what we've got: some business, like actual business, to take care of. And that is to talk about, and basically I'm going to pronounce who is already in the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. And then we're so going to So when the plaque goes up, vote. it'll already have a bunch of names Oh, yeah. On. But then we're going to vote on someone. Okay. Okay. Are y'all with me? Yep. Oh, yeah. And so I think that it is a given of who would be, and I want to get your, your so I, I'm going to make a list of people and basically I'm going to ask for your, your yay or your nay, and they will be officially put into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Agreed. Uh, what do you call it if you do something from before? Uh, retroactive? Like retroactive. I think you're okay. thinking. Grandfathered in. Post- Brent, put that Lodge Cast Iron Skillet right here, if you don't mind. And by the way, it's called a perpetual plaque, not an everlasting plaque. Perpetual plaque. Okay, thank you. Okay, let me see that bone. That's big bear. Okay, I would like to officially make the proposal to the group <laughs> that we induct number one, Daniel. Is this in order of importance? Nope. Nope. Okay. Just, just what we've done before. Okay. So from here on out, if we have someone that's eligible, we'll we'll induct them like right after, like right okay. when we it's apparent. Got it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. So I would like to nominate for induction into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Daniel Boone. Second. Hold on. We're gonna do this in one group. I always want to do that. <laughs> Daniel Boone. Yeah, can I get a can gonna, I get a second? Another one? That'd be a third. Okay, Daniel Boone, Warner Glenn. Mm. We're I doing them all that. at once. Roy Clark. So it's all or none. That's right. These okay. are all this is a batch. Okay. Roy Clark. James Lawrence. Uh-huh. I'm in. George McJunkin. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Frederick. Gerstocker. Whoa. Definitely. It's oh, a man. big That's list. Six. I'm on board. Okay, so Frederick Gerstocker would have been in. Are you want to vote or what? All in favor say aye. 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 All the nays say nay. 
It's official. So let it be written. Daniel Boone, Warner Glenn, so Clark, it's written, so let James it be Lawrence, done. and Frederick Gershocker and George McJunkin yep. are now officially in the Bear Grease Hall of Fame from here on out. How often will I'm new, new inductees be, be there's made? No, there's, no, there's no schedule. But what I want to do right now is I would like to nominate. So this is how we'll usually do it. Okay. Point of clarification. Yes. Do the living inductees get a benefit like a gift certificate to oh. Golden Corral or something? Mm. They should. Ooh. Okay. We'll, we'll table it. Yeah. Revisit it at the next render. Great. Okay. Okay. I would like to nominate for the Bear Grease Hall of Fame Oralee Province. Oh. I feel like there's some there's some I feel like an inductee into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame has characteristics that would be evident and seen by all, but often intangible and indescribable. Because it's not one thing that these men did. Mm -hmm. It is connected to character. It's connected to longevity. It's connected to connection to the land. It's connection to connected to grit. Mm -hmm. mm. It's connected to humility. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't come banging on the lodge cast iron skillet asking to be in right. the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. yeah, these men didn't ask. That to be would in the be Hall distasteful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel they like they have to embody the values of the Bear Grease podcast. I feel like. Uh, Orly Province, I mean, just the guy, he's there. Mm -hmm. Are there any public commentary in support? Any, would anybody like to make a speech in support of this? Yeah, I think uh, he embodies everything that a lot of people aspire to be. He did something great. And if, you'd never know it unless you ask him. Yeah. And then, then it was probably like pulling teeth. You know, it wasn't like he went into some big, long, elaborate story about how he killed that deer. He just slipping along the bluff and looking down there, and there he was. That's right. Yeah. I, I second. Second from Brent Reeves. All right. All in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed. All, all opposed, say nay. Nay. Oh. What? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. What just happened? You, just kidding. You're going to recant that? Yep. Okay. Ori Lee Province is now inducted into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. So now there's seven inductees. Here, here. So we'll just start from there. Somebody okay? write that down. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get it written down. So to dive into. Where are you going to put this plaque? There's no room in here. Yeah. We're running low on wall space. Yeah, yeah. We're running low. We'll find a place. We'll find okay. a place. Excellent. Here, well, I think that to start off our conversation about this podcast called The Unusual Whitetail Streak of Ora Lee Province, we need, to, we need to sing our song. So we, mm. lucky for you guys, <laughs> we have an original ballad written about Ora Lee Province that I'd like to sing. I'd like to ask Josh and Misty to accompany me on it. So I wrote this song just this week. I just felt inspired to write a song about Ori Province because I like the guy so much. So this is what I came up with. Misty Newcomb on the banjo, Josh on the guitar, Brent Reeves on the Lodge Cast Iron Skillet with a, with a bare bone. On the eve of the Great Depression in June of 1927, 
High on the mountain he was born Shucking corn, his shoes were worn And his mama mourned Became a man at age 16 When his daddy died the family cried And his brothers went to war Ori Robbins was an Ozark man <laughs> Fried deer meat in a cast iron pan Loved the fiddle and Bill Monroe Skidding logs, oak timber fall the thunder rolled In 1946, got a good horse, no remorse, cutting cross ties. 35 cents a piece will starve a man, callous his hands, but he loved the land. Working in the timber, he longed for the cold days of November. Back to the chorus. Everybody. Ori Province was an Ozark man. Fried deer meat in a cast iron pan. That's right. Love the fiddle and Bill Monroe. Skidding logs, oak timber fall, the thunder rolled. In 1965, the north wind blew, the storm clouds grew, and the beast hunkered again the bluffs. That's right. Or he came a slippin'. When the shot rang out, a great buck went to trippin'. He went and got Eugene. They found 28 points that would hang a wedding ring. That's a good, that's a good line, but that wouldn't be the last. When not two weeks had passed, his muzzle sang another blast. Back to the chorus, everybody. Ori Province was an Ozark man. Come on, Isaac. Right there, me fan <laughs> Love the fiddle and Bill Monroe Skidding logs of timber fall the thunder road Last verse Some would say it's luck But I would say well shucks He's a bluff hunting man He saw a drop time buck Shot nine times, blurred the lines, and the big buck fell. He carried 18 points, acorn fed, limestone bread, and an Ozark legend was born. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> All right. That was a good one. All right. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame. And we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. 
Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives, and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released, so head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrels' ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. Hey, just for the world to know, I recognize that I'm not a great singer, So, uh, but I, I just the passion's just too strong to keep it all in. Make a joyful noise. Just, I, I just got to let her go. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the ballad of an Ozark man. There's some good lyrics in there, There's, man. It's good. It tells it's, the it's story. Good. Tells the story. It should tell the story. A word a, promise was an Ozark man. A good Brian song. Right there a cast iron pan. A good song should play a little movie in your head when you're yeah. listening to it. Yes, that's it should. My favorite verse is, uh, he went and got Eugene, and they found 28 points that would hang a wedding ring. I like it. Because the deer actually only officially scored 26 points. 26 scoreable points. Mm-hmm. But by... Hanging Arkansas. a wedding ring on there it, you yeah. go. it'll score, it'll score twenty eight because that's what Ori Province always said. Yeah, he called it a twenty eight point buck. Now the difference is Boone and Crockett recognizes anything over one inch. One inch. Yeah. Well, yep. but listen to this. Uh huh. Okay. This is where it gets deep now, I'm, and I'm gets listening. real and gets gets there quick. <laughs> is that I and this is getting serious quick too. Uh oh. The dream that I had in two thousand seven and the mm. pictures right over on that wall. Yeah. I'll put the picture on Instagram. 
I had a dream that I killed a 24-point buck with a bow. And that year, I killed a buck that by Boone and Crockett standards had 21 points. Yeah. But by hanging a ring, it has 24 points. And that you just have to deal with that if you don't believe it. Do you feel like God is not um, Boone and Crockett certified? Is that what you're saying? It's <laughs> not, not what I'm saying. I'm just saying these are the facts. These are the facts. Uh, what did y'all think of uh, the Oralee Province story? I love it. What would you love about it, Misty? Well, I think that I, I love this story because I remember when it happened, you took Shep with you on that, on that trip. And I think from... I mean, probably the reason I loved it is a little different than the reason all the hunters are, but it's it's like a personal connection to the story and what that, that produced. How old was Shep when you took him? He was just well, a little guy, wasn't he? He was, he was squeaky a, voice little. He was 11. Little. I think he was 11 years was old. Was he only 11? Well, I mean, it was in 2019. I mean, I know almost the exact date. It Man, was March of 2019. He looks so little Well, in that picture. Yeah, a lot happens but went from 11 to yeah. 14, though. Yeah. Well, he um, he's he's – I remember that year at school – they were learning about World War II, oh. and they said something about about when it ended. And Shep knew knew immediately. He was like forty five, I think, and yep. and he and he was like, I know it ended. He argued with someone about when it ended, but he knew the story because <laughs> of sitting story. in that room. Yeah. Yeah. He was just sitting in the room. That's good. And to me, I just thought this is a great way. Like, what a wonderful tradition to hear oral history, and that uh, it made. You know, it really demonstrated the value of oral history and of having yeah. young people make connections with older people and hear their stories because it helps them piece together the world. Because like you said at the end, time is moves faster than you realize. And oh, that yeah, Shep gosh. will have, yeah. you know, that history in his life and he'll be able to tell that history to a generation, you know, Lord willing, a generation that is a lot, has the same spread in terms of on the other end than him. And that's how we know our, our people. That's how we know our stories. That's how we know... Our yeah. history, I just think it's so valuable. And that was such a special experience for our family. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Misty, I totally, I totally agree with you. I, there's something that I've always, since I was little, I, I was fortunate enough to know all my great-grandparents on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of my great-grandfathers emigrated from Europe. And he would tell me, he was 17 in 1915. And he would tell me stories of when he came to the U.S. through Ellis Island. Oh, and I remember I thought he the, would came through the land bridge. <laughs> <laughs> and Wait. I remember how impacting those stories were. And listening to Mr. Ori, it had that same flavor. And it's like you latch onto those things and, and uh, you know, the simplicity with which he lived his life. And, you know, I was thinking about, um, as he was talking in my mind, the phrase, simplicity is stability. You know, mm. to think about, mm. he, they had nothing, yeah. but they were stable, mm. you know, and there's there's a stability that comes with a simple life that Mr. Ori was able to communicate. And uh, yeah, yeah, just a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to listen to that oral history. Yeah. yeah. My grandfather was born in 1913 on my mama's side. And he told me the difference in the depression was that they didn't know they was in one until they, everybody shouted, hooray, we're out of it. And they're like. Well, this is like last Wednesday. <laughs> so they were eating what they grew, what they hunted, you know, what they raised and everything. And it just wasn't no, the, the bank was, you know, in the kitchen cabinet where they, if they got money for selling something, hides or furs or, or vegetables or whatever, you know, they put it in a, in a can, in the, a coffee can in the, 
in the cabinet. Yeah. Other than that, you know, they didn't know what was going on. And it's very similar to what I loved when he said, we had plenty to eat. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. everybody did. Yep. It may have been, you know, in my grandfather's case, you know, they was catching possums and rendering them out. I mean, feeding them out and then eating them. Yeah. But it was also whatever. But he, he said, oh, we had plenty to eat. Yeah. Like, that was silly. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was almost like he was like, that's a dumb question. Yeah, it was yeah. a non-event. Dad, what did you think about it? Well, he reminded me of Roy. Was it Roy Clark from yeah. Tennessee? Yeah. It, you know, I kept taking both of their lives and kind of like going, they're so similar, you know, uh, and the way they talk. I mean, I just I just love that dialect it's just it's just beautiful to listen to in course he had a simple life but to kill what he killed in a basically a week or two you know it's just it's just pretty phenomenal uh, yeah and so it I spent my whole time thinking about luck what is luck I mean mm-hmm. you know so I, I kind of focused on what did you what, think what the underlying behind it um what do i think about yeah take us into your thoughts on that well i don't think it's luck man i mean i think uh, i've got a friend that just i called him before i got up here i got a friend that's hit 13 hole in ones on a golf really? course 13 jimmy sears you know jimmy <laughs> Are you serious? and i called jimmy i said jimmy was it nine thirteen how many? he said it's 13 and I said, did you, did you have any streaks where you did two or three in a row? He said, no, I never did more than one in a year. Of course, he's my age. We're the same age. So he'd been playing golf a lot of years. And so I said, well, you play 220 times a year. There's usually an average of four par threes on an 18-hole course. I first said, Jimmy, you had 600 shots a year at a hole-in-one. And, with and a par had, three? Yeah, and he yeah. said so you're no. Say, you're saying only a par three? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get a hole-in-one on a par four or par five. Gotcha. He, he said, no, there's like four. He said, I, I had about 400, 800 shots a year to make those. Hmm. And his good buddy, who's also a good buddy of mine, is not that good of a golfer. And he said he's had one or two just blind luck, you know. Mm-hmm. He's not a good golfer. And he still, because he played a lot. But Jimmy plays 220 times a year. So, I mean, if he wasn't good, he, he probably would have had three or four hole-in-ones. Well, but he's really, really, he's one of the top senior golfers in the state of Arkansas. Yeah. In my opinion. I remember. So, relate uh, it to, to Ori. So, so, so Ori, he's, he's in the woods a lot. He's, he's good with his gun. Holy cow, shooting a running buck. Yeah. You gotta be kidding Nine me! Nine times he must have had an AR-15. <laughs> I mean, that one rifle never... back then was shooting had nine rounds. I don't in know it. how he loaded. That's just what he told me. You know, I would have never probably shot at the deer. I would have gone, "Wow, what a buck!" You know, I mean, so he had the wherewithal to. I mean, back well, in the day, what... you had to shoot it because you couldn't take a picture of it with your iPhone. So, so yeah. where Jimmy's really good with a club and a ball. You know, or he's good with a gun. He knows how to hunt. He's in the woods a lot. He's doing all this stuff. He created his own look. Now, yeah. once that that opportunity, that's the key thing, is opportunity. He had he saw an opportunity. He took advantage of the opportunity, and he was skilled and ready. I mean, he, yeah. I, I would never have hit the deer. 
I would have been in a panic. I wouldn't have even had time to. I mean, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, there's, yeah. a, well, there's an old saying in golf, and it's I've seen it attributed to 15 different people. But the more you practice, the luckier you'll get. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I know you've yeah. heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Which means the more you do something, I mean, just the better chance. You put yourself You're, in the right so, spot. So to me, you know what I what I came up with, and I, a lot of this, I don't know, it's not original thinking, probably, but you know, luck is is kind of like the definition. You, I heard you say the definition of luck. Right. It, it's it's almost like a little story I read where a guy said he was in New York City. He was sixty years old. He had a business. He wanted to sell it. And he heard a guy say, Mr. Buffett. And this guy goes, ching, ching, Buffett, New York City. And he said, I walked over and I said, are you Warren Buffett? And the guy said, yeah. He said, I got a business I'm trying to sell. I think, I think you'd like to hear the deal. Eventually he sells, he sells the guy, Warren Buffett, this business. I mean, so that, that was luck. He I heard. He so. heard the name. He just but, happened but, to be but there. Then there was he, no skill involved in right, him being standing there. But then he there. had, he had the wherewithal to say, "Here's an opportunity. I'll never have it again," and he took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the and the capacity to pitch something. Yeah, and well he had the ability. He would listen to him. And he had a product, you know, that was really, really good, you know. So, uh, there was a little luck that that deer came by. I mean, no question, but still, he was there. He was yeah. equipped. He was ready. He took advantage of it. I'm no gonna doubt. I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Okay. I'm gonna completely disagree with Gary because I think that could be said if Ori Province had killed those deer when he was 60. But according to when he said he was born, he was 28 years old. He was 38. 38, 38 years old. Yeah. How many years have you hunted? Well, I'm, uh, you know. I mean, you're in the woods. A, you're math, in the woods a Josh. lot. You're in the woods a lot, right? <laughs> How many hundred and eighty? I mean, I'm forty-two. How so many hundred and eighty-inch deer have you killed? And I mean, you're hunting the same territory, and our deer numbers are greater than what they were back then. Right. So there had to be something because I mean, there are skilled hunters that we know who hunt hard, who won't ever even see a deer that big. That was the only part of it that. If you were if you were making a case to a to an unbiased jury not from this planet that didn't understand luck or anything, is you would say this man was very prepared, he was very diligent, he was very skilled, he'd put in his time. But the size of these deer was wild, especially when you understand age structures of whitetails. Because let's just say those were six and a half year old deer, five and a half year old deer, which is an old deer. The chance of that could have translated into just like a nice eight point. I mean, yeah. I think one of the oldest deer I ever killed is about a hundred and fifteen inch eight point over there, with big old heavy bases, and he was just a brute, and just an old. I felt like he was an old deer, but he just had like a little little scrubby set of horns, and the fact that twice he killed an older age class deer that carried that yeah. kind of stuff. What that's what was wild. Now, if he'd have just, because I, I tried to make this analogy inside the podcast, was that that year he may have killed two five and a half year old deer that were 135 inch eight points, which would have been more common. Gary, 
I agree with what Josh is saying, except for one thing. <laughs> Ori oh, was me. looking for a deer. Yeah. You, you know, the guy that sold his business to Warren Buffett just heard the name Buffett. I mean, you know, if he had just been walking around with his gun, just looking <laughs> and go, oh, there's a big deer. You know, he was looking for deer. So I, I more agree with you than some of the stuff I'm saying. But so the I, fact was he was looking for that deer. Right. I would ask so that I think, guy if his name was Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy I think Buffett. the question that would, isn't. That would be your response. <laughs> That's what to I would say. Uh, Are you Jimmy? <laughs> Are you Jimmy? <laughs> I think the question isn't, was it luck? I think the greater question is, what is luck? Right, you know what I mean, because and really clearly the, there was the, there was some kind of favor there. The question, it, I use the term luck. Isaac and I talked about this before. I use the I don't really I might use the term luck just so people understand what I'm talking about. I really don't believe in luck. I mean, I, I, I use that term because we all can identify. When I say luck, you're like, oh, I know what you're talking about. But that was my the whole point of my thing is is what is luck. And and is there because in in a, in a, I tried to make it clear is that there's ex, there's when you root it down to the very foundational position there's two there's a split in the road when you start to define luck and its origin and one is this naturalistic approach that it's just chance and then the other one would be a supernatural why in the road of there's something outside of this place orchestrating things to happen to people that are beyond their control for a specific reason. I mean, that is you by know. definition providence. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the difference between providence and luck. Really? Okay. Do you have the definition of providence? See, yeah. I, I wouldn't even really have caught that. I, I take Isaac so much more serious with this outfit on. <laughs> well, I've got to stop wearing gym shorts and... <laughs> Um, uh, the protective care of a God or an, of nature as a spiritual power, God or nature as providing protective or spiritual care, timely preparation for future eventualities. Okay. Providence. Yeah. So, okay. So really that's what I was, that's what we were talking about. It was luck or providence. Yeah. Not province. And then Ori's last name But also you're introducing. That's, that's why the title works. Now Clay gets it. Providence or providence. Now he wishes he would have gone with it and paid attention. Well, I didn't text him (laughs) back until like 7 p.m., which is after the deadline anyway. always has like really deep, catchy titles (sighs) for stuff. That I don't get for like a minute or two. And then and it's so, after the deadline? Well, it's after I immediately respond back, I don't get it. And then I realize well, it's really good. There's there's two styles. It's either that or just uh, like empirically bad. And yeah. you go like, not that. But yeah. that inspired the actual yeah, type. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. I've, I'm, not, I'm not a median guy. I'm like one extreme or the other. <laughs> But I think you're ta- you kind of actually got three things. You don't just have luck and providence. You've also got this real strong, and Gary's bringing that in, and several of your the, the guys who talked are bringing that in. Also, merit. That merit. this is just, yeah. this, there's I, luck. totally That's, strikes me as a false dichotomy. Yeah, there's, there's three different things that you're really examining okay. here. Was this luck? Was this the Y'all think we should go back and just erase the podcast? No, I, no, but we, we, it's, we okay. Can, it's okay. We can make it look like an accident. Where's episode sixty-two? <laughs> Our account got hacked. <laughs> I'm kidding. Luck, go ahead. Go ahead. Luck, providence, or was this 
was, is this a result of hard work? Total justification. Yeah, yeah merit. Is this a he, he because of his hard he work? Earned it. He right. was yeah. there. Yeah, there you and go. That, and so it was merit. And I think that that is the narrative that fits best inside of the American psyche. That's that's kind of more how we think about the world. That's like what, he, like he paid his dues, he and so he had dues. this one yeah. coming because of his hard work. This happened. Yeah. That's that's our that's our you know rugged individualistic value system is that right. people get what they. They reap what they sow, and he did good things, and he's right. reaping the benefit oh. of it. Yeah. And so that's this like third thing over here, and and I think what you're what you're talking about with like that that buck right there, the one the biggest one you ever killed, you know, that was that was not merit. That was right. there was something way more to it than right. that. Well, and so you're seeing it through that lens, and I think there's other cultures who would definitely not ever think that they would never put merit in there as a piece of the, this is why this happened. They would always see it as providence. Yeah. Mm. But I think D, it's all of the above. I, it, yeah. It, it's <laughs> fundamentally both because if you had had that dream, but you had never shot a bow. Right. Like right. A, that's nothing, right? Pause. Or would like, he have had the dream if he never shot a bow? Oh no. Oh, we, got, we got a real, <laughs> uh, dad gummit. We got a, a real Schrodinger's, Buck over oh, here. Oh man, Isaac! Oh, I don't even know what that means. Um, Hold anyway, on there, cowboy boots. I put on my cowboy boots, and all of a sudden, I've got million-dollar words. No, but seriously, uh, like a great example is like if Ori Province was born twenty years earlier. Like what stuck at what like neon words when you were interviewing? He's like, I I walk twenty twenty-five miles a day. You guys, you ever walk 20 or 25 miles a <laughs> yeah. day regularly? Yeah, good like, point. Yeah. I, I can do that, but it is brutal. And so it's like he fundamentally put in some work, right? Yeah. But if he was born 20 years earlier, it wouldn't have mattered if he walked 20 or 25 miles a day because there were no deer. Oh, no deer. Literally no deer. Yeah. It wouldn't have mattered a lick. And so, like, I, I cannot separate the two. I think that there's providence. Yeah, I, I, I don't subscribe to the idea of blind luck. Um, but I, I wouldn't, that's not a mountain I'd die on. I think there's providence and then I think there's merit. And I think that he had both of those things going. And that's kind of what I was saying when I said, sometimes people want to just grab hold of one thing or the other. Yeah. Just like, yeah, it's all chance. Yeah. It's all chance. There's no, there's nothing but chance in the universe. Yeah. And, or, or someone say the other side of it, which would be like every minuscule thing the the, the, the Brent's chair just squeaked. Because you know X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like there's there's like have have every deer that I've killed, have I felt like it was like life changing, monumental? It wasn't my chair. It was Brent's chair. <laughs> no, did yeah. that deer change my life? Yeah. There's no one on this earth that will ever convince me otherwise. It 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 really did. Yeah. And uh and so was that deer important? Was that deer did something from another place? Yeah. I think we do need to help talk about that, that deer a well, little bit more. Sure. I think we need to. And I think we need to talk about, especially if you're going to put the picture on Instagram. There's some side text on the picture. Yeah, there's a note on there that we probably need away. to explain. And I will say, when you brought that deer back, Ava, Josh's youngest daughter, was here. Oh yeah, Josh's daughter was about here. That. And Ava Bear, was here. And I, I she mean, would have been little. They were got, tiny babies. Of her with they were with big old fat cheek babies. And they both. We've got pictures of both of those two, Bear yeah. and Ava. Standing over it, they're in their PJs, and and their little fat cheeks are just sitting there smiling at it, not having any idea. Two thousand seven, what it represented. All right, family. give us the story. Wait a minute. Well, you, on the he, deer, he kind of told you. Well, on no, that. no, you were going to say. Well, I was just saying. I think. I mean, I think that that 
you know, you're, you're kind of bringing that in. And I thought the way you brought that in at the end was sort of underwhelming. It was kind of a, a big, huge deal that I thought, I mean, maybe it's because of the impact it's had on us, but I thought it was a little bit. Like I didn't do a good job. Um, I'm not saying you I just didn't, didn't, do didn't a good want job. to. I didn't want to. I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to turn make it, it into the Clay Newcomb yeah, story. I didn't, yeah. didn't want to make. But I wanted to throw it out there. Like, yeah, this is you stuff had this that happens dream to people, and you drew it out, and yeah, you so put a note in on Ju- there in July. Mm-hmm. I think it says July 2007. I'll look at it, mm-hmm. and I I I saw the buck, and I woke up, and I drew pictures of it. And the buck that I drew has really long curved brow mm-hmm. tines it's got a burr point and it's got kickers mm-hmm. and if you look at that buck and look at the buck i killed it's it, crazy they, they look a lot alike yeah. and i wrote a i wrote a note on the the sketch i said do not throw away misty like <laughs> not, was there a comma there well, oh, okay. no there <laughs> is <laughs> no comma so he is talking <laughs> but she's the direct I knew, object <laughs> i knew what would happen is i i drew it and then yeah. i didn't really have a place to put the sketch or or at the time i didn't and so I just knew it was just going to be like laying around like on my bed stand. Clay would write down incredibly important phone numbers or confirmation <laughs> numbers and just set them down and then be like, why did you throw that away? And it's like, it was literally on so a it's piece the of definition torn of up. trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, I framed the, the sketch and then there's a cutout. Uh, there's a picture of the deer in this little frame. But um, and writing about that is one of the things that jump started your. Oh, it was the only thing I never thing. even I never even thought about writing an article or going into the outdoor industry at all. Right, I just killed a big deer. Yep, and I was like, man, it'd be pretty cool to write a story about it because yeah. because there was an angle that I had on the story from a tactical sense. I actually really used a lot. Of, I mean, I hunted the deer fifteen mornings at the time. I could only hunt in the morning, and so I hunted I hunted mornings. The only time, the only days I didn't hunt was I went down to your deer camp, Dad. So I killed the deer on October the 18th. I spent three mornings at your deer camp. So fift- basically 15 straight mornings I hunted for that deer and, uh, and killed him on the 18th. And this was before we had trail cameras and stuff. So yeah. I, had ju- I had seen the deer with my own eyes one time yeah. in the spot and ended up hunting there. And I, I rattled him in on, on a balmy, windy, like, 72 degree morning on October 18th. But you had the dream when? July of 2007 killed so it in three October months before. in 2007. Yeah. And the and the thing is it's like you know like you can you can say I'm I'm not trying to make the dichotomy here but like to illustrate the point that it's both is like you hunted 15 straight mornings. Right. You know what I mean? Like you didn't go out October 1st and like plug it and go Yeah, yeah no, right. there was some work involved. Dad. Did you uh, I know. I think I know the answer to this. But did you ever see that deer, or you know? Yeah, I, 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 at could, the time, could I had that a, have related to your dream at all? Oh well, I, I videoed the deer in late August. But you didn't see but it you in didn't July. Before, before the dream, before well, the dream, no, 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 dream, no, dream, no, 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 dream, the dream, dream. I never knew the deer was alive until. Yeah. Well, you two would, months the after antlers the antlers wouldn't have looked like that in July of two thousand seven. Well. You're right. And the right, next thing right. is... The, the first time I saw the deer was... Uh, actually, the first time I saw that deer was like September the 8th or 9th of 2007. So let's get the timeline. You ha- I think it's helpful for listeners. All right. July, you have the, you have the dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. August. I remember waking up and it was a big yeah. bright morning and I was going out to get hot. That's all I remember. I was going to work. Yeah. August. <laughs> <laughs> So that's not helpful for the timeline. To just, I'm, just, I'm just relating what I see in my yeah. mind. I remember waking up, 
Just and a little it, color commentary. And it, we yeah. just need yeah. ever, just, We just need yes or no, sir. Just bare details, just for the listeners to have a clear details. Uh, all right. So yeah. All right. So July, See you have the dreams. Oh, I man. used to work with these two hands. <laughs> July, you have the dreams. Now I write songs. August, okay, <laughs> deer. August, you see the deer. Does the deer look like the deer you saw in the dream in August? Oh, I never made the connection. Okay, you you kill the deer. I never in made the connection until like long after I even killed the deer. Like it wasn't like I was that's like impressive in other ways. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a compliment. I'm just kidding. I mean, I don't remember how long. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, it wasn't like I shot the deer and I was like, that yeah. was the deer in the dream. Like, it was sometime yeah. after I was like, yeah. man, I, I drew a picture. Yeah. I mean, it was that, you know, like, I almost didn't draw the picture. Yeah. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to kill a deer this year. Yeah. It was just like, I had a dream. It was really clear, vivid, impacting. You felt like it was significant when you woke up. Yeah, yeah. I remember more about the dream. I could tell. Signi- I, I remember more about the dream, too. Yeah. Because I remember you talking... To me yeah. about it, because I was like, "What's and, this, and, Misty? Uh, don't throw away." But don't throw away, Misty. Yeah. So it was sometime after that I realized. It. But I think that's your next song title: "Don't <laughs> Throw Away, Misty." <laughs> don't throw away, Misty. I'd like to hear I'd that like, ballad. Yeah, next, that's weeks. a good ballad right there. The ballad of the I call that book Dagger. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I got something to say about uh, what Mo Shepard was saying about yeah. getting loaded up and going over to see it. Like, I'm not here to say, like, technology is the downfall of human civilization or whatever, but, like, it made me, like, it immediately took me to the Floatin' Tote in El Dorado Springs, Missouri, where we'd go check in our deer, and everybody would mm. go post up there. You'd Float pull in tote. The Floatin' Tote. You'd pull in in your truck, and all of a sudden, everybody'd come over, start looking over the bed. Oh, yeah. You just yeah. couldn't, if you got anything halfway decent, you couldn't wait to get down there yeah. and yeah. just, just talk about it and see what everybody had so going on. So you were on. saying like, Mo's dad would have just looked on Facebook yeah. rather oh, than hey, gone to hey. Ori's house. Yeah. Ori, Ori, or Ori would have texted him and said, yeah. hey, I killed a big deer. Congrats. I, it, there's just something magical about like being there in person and like that community connection of like going over and seeing it and you yeah. know, feeling, feeling proud about it. On it. Yeah. yeah. Isaac's describing social capital. Social capital talk is what I was describing. It's, I mean, he's, what he's talking about is the networks that people form and how those those create identity, they create resources. When you when economists look at the world and they look at human capital, they look at economic resources to evaluate nations, to evaluate mm-hmm. communities. But these other these social scientists came up with this other term in the mid late nineties called social capital. And it's how people are connected to each other. And ah. they, they I mean it, it actually came up earlier than that, but it got popularized in the mid nineties. But that that those connections actually provide a a resource to that community that is as valuable as the economic connections and you they mm. look at this in terms of marriage they look at this in terms of voting patterns the way they evaluate whether there's social capital in a community and it's it's been in pretty much steady decline since the middle part okay i mean not that's fascinating. That yeah. that nails it what, with what Isaac's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Social, social capital, capital is like having gold coins. Social media is like using credit cards. <laughs> no, no. Social media is like those uh, chocolate gold coins. Exactly. Well, okay. There's They're something there. Yeah. A little hit of dopamine. I never saw Ori Province without a pair of overalls on. That didn't make it in the song. I tried to find overalls. Oh, that it didn't happen. I felt it. You felt his overalls? Yeah. I, yeah. I felt like this man was... 
Yeah, for real. Like, I don't know that he was like what, Brent. What kind mm-hmm. of footwear did he wear? <laughs> I um, bet it wasn't Crocs. That's a good question. Tevas. He was a Tiva man. <laughs> he was more of a Jocko's guy. You know, I saw him just wear kind of like uh, just brown leather lace-up boots. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the the brand. Here's here's another question on the uh, on the front of social media. I feel like because today it's so prevalent. I had this like incongruence in my mind of like only wanting to shoot big deer because I want to post them on social media so I can get validation in that way, right? And so like shooting big deer is tied to my self worth, and so like so you feeling just, weird you just and decided to grow your hair out. <laughs> I, I'm looking for social validation in, or external validation in any way. But, like, this idea, like when I listened to it, it didn't sound like there was some disappointment that he peaked early as a hunter or something like that. It's like the end goal was not, like, killing the biggest deer, but it was just going and killing deer and enjoying being in the woods and enjoying hunting. Yeah. And, like, when I listen to that, I go, like, man, that's really cool to have, like, killed two arguably world-class deer in the span of two weeks early on in your hunting career. Yeah. And and not to like carry resentment or a grudge about like Yeah, they didn't they they were they were meat hunting. They they wanted they liked killing big deer. Sure. But like he would have killed a basket rack 8 point just as fast as he would have killed one of those other deer. And I yeah. think that would have been really common back in those that period of time. James Lawrence killed his biggest deer. In the 60s, wasn't it? Yeah, the first deer he ever killed. So, you know, you look at that, uh, and there weren't as many hunters. Yep. Those big deer were out there because they weren't getting hunted as much. Yep. And, and, you know, Lawrence's family, they were hunting over here where the deer sign was. And and James was going where where the uneducated guy would go. Yeah, he was doing stupid stuff. He kills this huge buck, and a lot of times you'll see stories where a little kid, this twelve year old kid's killed a hundred ninety point buck. You know whatever yeah. Yeah. buck. Well, the reason that happened is because his uncles said, "Hey, look, kid, don't know what he's doing. Put him down there they, where old Junior used to sit for years and, and never yeah. saw a deer. Yeah. Let's get the good stands for us guys yeah. that know how to kill them. Well, they send him down there, and guess what? Yeah. He kills the big buck because the big bucks don't run where I hunt. I guarantee you, I know they don't. I don't want <laughs> to kill. There. I don't want to kill a big buck. You got to sit. It's too hard. I mean, I want to sit where a bunch of activity's going on. Well, like tying right into that, like they just – and tying into luck, they just had uh, what was the guy's name? Dustin Huff was that oh, his right. name yeah. on the Mediator podcast? Yeah, and they got down a rabbit hole of talking about how many people kill big deer the first time they sit somewhere. He right. killed yeah. the record for is it, it America? It, it's United the, yeah. States? It's the United States the United, biggest yeah. typical. And it was the first time he'd sat in that stand, and it was just like, oh, that I guess that makes sense. That educated buck is going to get wise. Hey, to there's the, the second step to that that you never hear is that no one else is sitting that stand either Yeah, in a long time. Yeah. So that buck is there because Those, if you're smart, smart you don't yeah. hunt there. You're yeah. going to hunt a scrape or yeah. a rub over here. And that yeah. buck is smart and says, and I goes, know where the people go. I'm going to be over here. <laughs> well, hey, I talked with uh, the, 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 the whitetail deer biologist for the state of Arkansas to get some of the data on that reintroduction of deer. Um, 
and I, I spoke with him, and he, he's, he said the same thing. He said in the 1960s, there, there were actually more deer in the 1960s than probably I thought there would have been. 30 deer per square mile is actually a decent amount of deer. And in some places, there were 30 deer per square mile. Maybe not that deep in the mountains where Ori was at because it's just rough, full canopy stuff. But he said the same thing. He said there just weren't a lot of people out there hunting. And so there were, there were bucks that were getting old. And so, yeah, there's, there's something to be said there. And I guarantee you, and I haven't looked at the weathering patterns during that time, but I have followed the Mountain Man Big Buck Contest for about 20-plus years. And on years like this year, I guarantee you, probably... I guarantee you probably. <laughs> it's possible. Highly likely. <laughs> 100% guarantee you <laughs> that the deer are going to be of less quality on a really dry, droughty year because the nutrition of these animals coming into the, to the, to the, to the summer, mm-hmm. the nutrition they have. But new, antler growth is also connected to how they did last fall. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things connected to antler growth. But it's connected probably, to the mom's nutrition when the deer was in the womb. Yeah, it's connected to a lot of stuff. But it is seasonal. Like on a dry yeah. year, like there's usually a mountain man, Usually there's like one deer that might net Boone and Crockett, and that's a four-county area in northwest Arkansas. Maybe one, two deer net Boone and Crockett. Uh, the year that I killed my big buck in 2007. Proud of you. There were, thank you, uh, there were <laughs> two deer that netted Boone and Crockett. Yeah. That hung on the wall because I took my buck to the Mountain Man Big Buck Contest. Yeah, you did. Of course I did. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, in 1960, those deer weren't near as smart as they are now. Right. Not they're, as much pressure. I mean, you I know, these that. deer just said, okay, I'm going to walk below this buff, bluff. You know, this is a cool way to walk. Well, they're not going to do that today. And if you go to those <laughs> same mountains. That's the way deer talk, too. You know, yeah. if you go to the same area, you're probably not going to find that big a buck in there. Right. That deer would have gotten... If he were living in the last 10 years. He got killed when he was two. Yeah, he you know, got killed when he was about three or four years old, you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, that's, there's a lot of people that hunt in that part of the world now, for sure. Yeah. So, so luck, you know, I still don't really understand the luck part, but he was a little lucky. But, well, and, you know, and he was Mo, good. Mo Shepard, who is today one of the best deer hunters I know for that part of the world, just big woods, deep public land hunting. And most never killed 170, 180 inch deer. And he's killed a lot of deer and a lot of old deer. And that is just luck of the draw on like Mo is hunting as big and old a deer as there are out there and killing them. And they usually have about 130, 140 inch racks. You know, the odd one's going to be up in the 150s. And that's just pretty standard. Um, and there are these outliers that do happen and um yeah it's pretty unique pretty unique but i think i think what i was getting at is that our understanding of how the world works influences our decisions you know but i i do believe that we bank on street whatever you want to call it i'm going to call it luck just because just we bank on unmerited favor coming to us we do i mean and actually 
the human – I thought about this since the podcast. Let's erase this podcast and do it again, Isaac. I think it's a good podcast. Listen, <laughs> the human, <laughs> human metabolism is built upon I the potential for fortuitous streaks of luck. We literally like are designed to gorge ourselves at times and our bodies store fat for when the next day and the day after that and the day after that, we can't find a fruit tree full of fruit or we don't make a kill. And that's the reason that the majority of Americans are obese is because we get lucky every day when it comes to food then in 2020. Good streak of luck. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> I know I mean, exactly because it's, what you're Sometimes saying. it's like, yeah. how do we... How do we, uh, we're just not designed to have a gourmet meal every single meal of every single day of our life. We're built to have some good fortune at times and some lean times at times, and it all kind of evens out in the end. Here's another interesting thing that I thought of while Tony Peterson was talking about is this idea of placebos. Because he was talking about yeah. psyching yourself up, right? Yeah, You're doing something a good point, mentally. Yeah. A placebo has a measurable effect. Which is crazy for everybody who doesn't know. A placebo is like a uh, man. Those cowboy boots just changed his I life. Know. It's He's pretty like the amazing. smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. They changed your life. The I've been like, the same guy the, the whole time. The, the leg tattoo guy I knew before. <laughs> I've mean, been the same guy the whole say. time. You just were were casting aspersions on me because of my <laughs> appearance. <laughs> I don't even know where okay. this person is. Deal. Uh, a placebo is is like a. Um, uh, I don't know how to define it's it. It's a control. In its yeah, yeah, it's pill. a control. And so, like, it has a measurable effect. So you can be given a non-medication, and it makes you better, potentially. Given a sugar pill yeah. instead of actual medication. And what's even... And you get better. And, and you get better still. And yeah. what's crazier than that is it is also a measurable effect if you know it's a placebo. Even which is, like, mind-boggling. I don't know what the de- to what degree it is, but it's just, like, the the human brain has... Or the human body or the human spirit or whatever it is has an amazing ability to impact real outcomes. That's good. That's good, Isaac. Uh, yeah. one, day hey, you, I did it. one day you may hey, run this podcast. You keep, I did you it this year. I did it this year. I posted on social media, felt cute, might kill a big deer later. What did I do? Killed a big one. 30 minutes later, I killed yeah. a, a gross 161. That's a big Eight deer. point. One wow. day they made... Do a story about your One streak day they may induct you, me into the Bear, be Grease, in the Hall Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah. Wait, you know, <laughs> is Clay getting got, inducted? He's, he's got a lot of years of proven character to... to I thought it was interesting, inducted. like, when I go, like, hunting or if I go fishing and I, like, there's this sense of catching a big fish, I always try to think, well, I'm not going to catch a big fish Ooh, today. Oh, Yes. Or I'm not going to kill a deer today. Managing and I, there's almost yep. Yeah, there's yep. almost this sense of if I do, it's this bonus. Yeah. I'm going to have a good time. And if I don't, oh. I won't be disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I never stepped to the plate. I don't think I ain't fishing to hit it out of the park. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Every time. I'm, I'm very realize, much more. It's just one crash of expectation I mean, <laughs> after another. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm always hitting homers, Jack. <laughs> high expectations and high results. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely in the Josh Spielmaker camp of mitigating expectations. You've heard of the Casey Shreve says that my epit what is it called on your gravestone? Epit epitaph. 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 Will be manage expectations. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, 
I really enjoyed this podcast. And for, for people that would have been following along on the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast, they would have heard the full interview. So actually, it, yeah. it would be like a bonus episode if you wanted to hear it's really good. an unedited full mm-hmm. version. I talked to Mr. Ori for an hour and a half. Yeah. So on this podcast, there was 21 minutes. So there's actually a lot more. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's uh, good, too. It's just, it is. It's, it's totally unedited. So it's us, like, talking about the weather, us, you know, kind of doing stuff. But it was, it was good. There was a lot on it. His wife came on and talked and told how she puts up corn and how she cooks deer meat. And she told about her grandchildren. You know, I, I my favorite parts of these podcasts, if my favorite part of that whole episode was the very beginning, well, close to the beginning, when I, you hear the screen door open. Yeah. And Mr. Ori goes, hey, Clay, how are you doing? And I talk to him, and then his wife comes in, and she says, oh, excuse the house. Yep. I just was going to vacuum, <laughs> and I didn't want to do it. And then da, da, da. You could have had a sandwich off that floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it just, it just, it just kind of, I don't know. If you've been there, you just know those people. Yeah. And it, uh, it kind of tells the story. And, uh, yeah, they, they, he was a relic of a man. And, and I continue to be amazed and tried to make the point on the podcast that, Every generation has a touch point with a much older generation that they think are like the real deal. Yeah. Like when I look at Ori Province and Lou and Nukem, my grandfather, and uh, and uh, guys that aren't here anymore. Yeah. I'm like, man, they were the real old timers. Like when I look at dad, like dad's not an old timer. I mean, like, you know, to me, you're 75. And it's... But it's because we're 74, 74. Come because on, we're pretty close in age. <laughs> Give them the year. <laughs> but to my to my kids, they'll talk about their granddad and be like, golly, he was born in like 1773, <laughs> or, you know. But the uh, my point is, is that everybody, I actually talked to Brooks Blevins about this one time, the Ozark historian, academic guy, Dr. Brooks Blevins. And he said every single generation has, for a period of time, the oldest possible people that they could interact with. And those guys always have something very different and a very different life experience than you. And so they're really intriguing. But there was a time when Ori Province was like on the pop culture cutting edge of time when he was 18 years old. And, and the old timers to him were born in the 1830s. Right. That was my point inside of that. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. And Daniel Boone, Daniel Boone would have one time just been like the dude driving down the road, driving a you know, 2019 Chevy Silverado four-wheel drive with a couple mules in the back. You know, uh, He <laughs> just would have been like a normal guy. Yeah, and he would have interacted with people because most don't normal have, people normal carry people don't around have mules with a stock the tra- with a stock trailer in the back. No trailer. That's where I'm headed. Um, <laughs> point being, you, you can't imagine Daniel Boone looking back in history and going, "Man, the old timers." But he was he just did. like us. Yeah, just like us. You know, Daniel Boone was like two people back, three people back. I mean, he's not that yeah. far. Lincoln is not that far back from right. us, really. Right. You know, you go back to Jesus Christ, 20 people. I mean, I figured it before. When you right. were a kid, we probably talked about it. Yeah. You know, you just go back. I had an old buddy that was in his 90s, and I'm thinking, okay, he's born here. You know, if he knew somebody back, you know. Yeah. And you just you start tumbling that back. And, I mean, it's really, 
Lincoln and I are about the same age. You know, <laughs> yeah. you get to yeah. think about it. In a big picture. Yeah. 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 For real. The last, yeah. uh, the last widow of a Civil War veteran died in 2020. What? What? Yeah. At 101, oh. she got married when she was young and he was old. He was old. And then she lived to 101. Wow. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Isaac's one day going to run Bear Grease. <laughs> I hope y'all like they, they know because she was still drawing his pension, which was like seven dollars or something like that. Wow! In Confederate dollars? Man, I hope not. <laughs> I'm just, I'm crypto. just trying to figure. There's out. a crypto. It was in crypto. I don't, I, I don't buy it. You don't buy what? The last Come on, widow. Isaac. Yep. Don't 18- doubt Isaac Neal. So, what year did they get married? No, she I read, at I age seventeen told. married ninety-three-year-old widower James Bolin. Pause. Oh, she was. She it was, was digging it, for it, that money. She married him not during the Civil War. She married him. Gotcha, gotcha, We call, we like, call <laughs> her a gold digger. That's fascinating. We need to do a in twenty 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 December sixteenth. Wow, Marshfield, Missouri. Whoa. Are you serious? People, that's where, uh, that's, yeah, that's right where my by, wife's from. No that's way. right by yeah. Springfield. That's unfortunate that there weren't some conversations there. Look. Wow. Ugh. That was a great Lost place to end. That's a new tattoo really. right there. <laughs> yeah. Queen hey, of Marshfield. Isaac, would you be interested in getting a back tattoo of the the Bear Grease Hall of Fame members? Oh, oh there's whoa. the There's whoa. our perpetual plaque. Mm. Every, you have to come in here I'll take shirtless. It, yeah, I'll take it under consideration. <laughs> every time, every time to, we add you someone see to how it, this works out, man. To get a what if you got the tattoos and I was like, man, Isaac, uh, you're fired. <laughs> yeah, we might need a longer contract. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have to have something removed to put it on there? No, 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 no. I got plenty of real estate. I think he should maybe legs. You know, they're full, Misty. Well, I mean, maybe he could remove stuff. But Back that, to the legs. You know, just keep that way. You Ooh, can just keep I like adding. one list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. One list. It could be but small. You, could, you yeah. could have it drawn like a scroll. Yeah. Uh, it would be awesome. And I could be holding it like this. <laughs> yeah. Full size. <laughs> Looking. <laughs> you should get a life-size uh, tattoo well, hey, of Clay, okay, guys. only bigger. Fantastic. I, I love... There's some podcasts that just hit home for me. This one did. I liked it. Aside from all the, the whitetail tactic stuff we talked about, which I... I mean, the, the main part that really hit home was the Ori stuff, but the... Having Mark Kenyon and Tony Peterson, those guys are good, man. They really are. They're colleagues of mine at Meteor Hunted with them. They're uh, they're really good. And I did mention that this fall you'll get to see me and Mark Kenyon hunting public land in Arkansas, big mountain country on a backcountry mule type hunt, which is pretty cool because that's nice. kind of the way. I mean, it's you know same part of the world Ori was in, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, you can check that out. Cool, but, uh, Dad. Closing thoughts. Uh, just. Very interesting. Enjoyed it. I'm still looking for some luck to come my way. (laughs) Still waiting on that street. Oh, well, that's all. Keep the wild places wild. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. 
I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, All of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com.